today is the 10th sermon uh, of our James series. 10th sermon. We're, we're, we're well into it. And James is continuously hitting us over the head and, and continuously telling us straight out how, how it is. And today he's going to be giving us a warning against worldliness. Worldliness. What is that? What in the world does that word actually mean? This, that word has actually made divisions within the church. And a lot of times it's because of our legalism. Because we get so legalistic about what worldliness means. What, what it means to be in the world. There was a guy uh, in the 300s named Simeon. And he actually lived 36 years on top of a, a large pillar. 36 years because he wanted to be away from the world. A few years back, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, I was working uh, construction stuff, and, and I had the opportunity to have a great conversation with an Amish guy who had left his Amish community, but still was, was celebrating most of his Amish traditions. The entire goal is to try to avoid being and doing the things that the world does. Opposite of this, obviously, is, is somebody who just fully engages in the world, where there's, you, you can't tell the difference between what the world is and what the person is. They mesh in it completely the same. John says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Nowhere in this passage does he say you can love the world a little. He says... Do not love the world or the things in the world. Bold statement. Matthew 6, 24. We know this one. Where, where you can't serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what is... Worldliness, according to Scripture. Worldliness. Well, John said the word world 105 times in his different books. 105 times. A few of those times, just a few of those times when he said the word world, he said it about the physical world. He said it about people of the world. Think about John 3.16. <laughs> For God so loved the world. He's, he's referring to the physical world. But most of the time, almost every time, of those 105, <laughs> yeah, you know, that really throws you off. <laughs> Reggie's sneaking, in or sneaking around. <laughs> most of the 105, <laughs> That may be the first time I've ever had that. 
most of the 105 times that John says world or cosmos, he's referring to a specific word, a specific meaning. And that meaning is evil, organized system by Satan, which completely operates through unbelieving people who are opposed to God. And this is worldliness that we absolutely run from. We run from. We love God and we hate the world in that phrase. Uh, there was a uh, Reverend Kevin DeYoung, he tweeted in 2013, I believe he gave, he gave a, a message uh, um, at, at a conference, and, and then he tweeted this after the message. I can't think of uh, who, who the conference was with. Um, oh, uh, Sproul. He, he said, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Let me say that again because you may want to write that down. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And that, that's, that's what we do today. All the time. That's what, our, that's what our world has us doing. So today James is going to give us a warning about it. About this worldliness. So if you would join me in standing. I'm going to read. We're going to go to James chapter 4. And we're going to read the first six verses. James chapter 4. Starting with verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Heavenly Father, bless our time. May you be honored in all that we say and all that we do and all that we write. It's to you, Lord, we owe everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, in the scripture, we're going to see several symptoms uh, that are surfacing. Several symptoms that are surfacing uh, to the top. In fact, uh, James says that he wants to include three specific ones. I'm going to give you all three of them right away uh, just so uh, we can get to it and then we'll address one at a time. Unresolved problems. Unresolved problems, uncontrolled passions, and unanswered prayers. And that has nothing to do with Garth Brooks, that last one. James points out that the people in the church are obviously having quarrels, they're having disagreements. They're, they're having uh, some issues that aren't being resolved. 
And the result, the result are fights, are quarrels, sometimes wars. In fact, many wars, most wars, have been started because two people have started an argument. Sometimes it's a husband and wife that starts an argument that eventually turns into a war. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it reminds us that we need to resolve our conflicts. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, and then it goes on and tells the process of how to resolve the conflict. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And, and so like James, I wonder how, how many quarrels, how many fights, how many unresolved problems we have right here in this church. How many things are going on in your life that, that have been unresolved? Are you holding on to something, just holding on to it dearly because you're right? And that's probably the biggest issue. That's probably what James is talking about most is, is this, this self, this thinking that you're right. And so now you can't get it resolved. You can't get this conflict resolved because you're too prideful. I'm too prideful. And that's where, that's where the conflicts really have, have issues because we're worried about ourselves and not about the forgiveness of the situation. So we can keep moving past it. So it boils up and it starts fights. Is there someone that you need to go to? A family member, a brother, a sister, an uncle, a neighbor, someone here at the church? I think I've told you that story where, where there was a situation that I observed someone walk from one side of the church to the other to resolve a conflict before they took communion. What a great picture of resolving a conflict. I only knew about it. I saw him walking past. I obviously, I didn't know anything going on, but I, I was told about it later on, the situation. But the gentleman resolved the conflict because he knew that he wasn't right with the Lord. He had unresolved conflict. You also have uncontrolled passions. James says you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So what kind of desires, what kind of passions was James talking about here? I think he was talking about the exact same ones we have. Sex, fame, fortune, material goods, food. Anything you can think of. Passions that, that just drive you uh, to, to the next level. What about Reuben? I, remember we just went through the, the, uh, the story of Joseph. And at the end of, of, of that sermon series... We saw Jacob on his deathbed. And, and Jacob was there and, and he, 
it was time for him to give the blessings to his 12, his 12 boys. And he called Reuben in. Reuben's the oldest. He's the firstborn son. By all rights, the conversation should have been like, all right, son, you're in charge now. You will receive your double inheritance as the firstborn. But that's not how the blessing went, was it? He, he actually brought back something that happened 40 years before when Reuben, right, right after Jacob lost his wife to the birth of Benjamin, Reuben slept with his concubine. The passion that drove Reuben is now, he, he dealt with it the rest of his life. Some say, some believe that that, that desire wasn't the passion of sex, of being with someone. It was the passion of power. Because it would be a, a power move to maybe take control of the family at that time. We saw it with King David, too, with Bathsheba. He saw her on the rooftop bathing, and, and he had an uncontrolled desire for her. Knowing she was the wife of, of one of his greatest soldiers, he still moved forward with it. David desired, he did not have, so he murdered. Isn't that interesting? That correlates perfectly with verse 2. Uncontrolled passions. They eventually will cause havoc on your life and on the lives around you. That's why James is talking about the fight and the quarrel. I think of an addict. Someone who's a drug addict and, and, and they're just, they're, they're going to do whatever they can to deal with that, that addiction. They'll go steal from their family. I think of a guy who was uh, an addict to gambling. And he would get his paycheck and, and then he would tear his shirt and, and act like he was robbed. And, and then he'd tell his wife, you know what? I was robbed. Someone took my paycheck. He didn't tell her that he lost it at the horse's. That eventually turned into a divorce. So what are you leaving uncontrolled? What are you covening so much that you're willing to murder to get? I think if, if we are honest with ourselves, if, if we literally take a look deep inside, we all could come up with a whole bunch of things. Another symptom is unanswered prayers. Verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So many of us talk to God like he's a genie. Oh, God, please grant me these three wishes, just these three. Well, that's not who God is. He's not a wishing well. God is the king. The king of kings. And we have to rely on him. All of scripture is about Jesus Christ. All of it. And we treat him 
poorly. We, we just treat him like he, he's just over here, and if we need him, we'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. James understands this so well that we are constantly asking God to help us, to grant us, to give us, to guide us, to provide for us, but our focus is so heavily on the word us, on the word self. And that, that's probably the biggest thing is that it's that four-letter word, self, S-E-L-F. I am totally preaching to myself right now. We worry about ourselves, our own desires. That's why when we ask, we don't receive. Our desire needs to be for the king, for his pleasure, for his will. 1 John 4, 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Earlier in James, actually, in James 1.6, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You see, our passions, our passions change. They, they, they change as the wind blows, we have a new passion for something. But God's passion, God's passion it's absolutely perfect on wanting you to be saved, on loving you. I like the acronym JOY, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. I think it's important when we spend time in prayer that our focus is on the desires on how we can glor glorify Jesus Christ. Often when I'm, when I'm praying, when, I'm, when I am really focused in on my prayer, I'll pray the acronym, the, the acrostic of ACTS. ACTS, A-C-T-S. A means adoration. Adoration. Because I, I want to I praise God the Father, I want to give him praise. And, and oftentimes, when I'm praying to God, I use different attributes about him. I use different names that he has been given in Scripture. Uh, sometimes, this is a great time to bring in the book of Psalms, whether through memory or, or through reading it during your prayer. There, there's no rule that you have to close your eyes during your prayer. That helps you focus and focus in on him. But, but you could read scripture and read back his word. T, or excuse me, C, A, C, confession. It's crucial because it allows me to be absolutely honest and truthful with God. He already knows it. Allows me to be humble and share my sins with him. This is where you let it all out. You, you tell him everything. And I'm guessing a lot of times we don't. Some of you maybe do all the time. Some of us may not. 
confession is absolutely crucial in this process. Adoration, confession, T, thanksgiving. Again, allows me to show appreciation to God the Father. Absolutely appreciate him and to be thankful for what we have, what he has provided. Oddly, uh, what, our, our dryer isn't working for some reason. Our, the heat component of our dryer isn't working. And I woke up probably about 3 in the morning, and my immediate thought was, the dryer. Can you fix the dryer for us, Lord? And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm, and, and so I immediately started thinking about Thanksgiving, what I was thankful for. I was thankful for the hot water in the shower. I was thankful for uh, the house and my family. I immediately jumped to the last, can you supply me with something? And that's the last one, S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, S for supplication. This is when I spend time asking for something specifically. Please give us heat back in our dryer. And hopefully, I don't spend the majority of my time in this area, but I do ask God for specific things. He wants to hear my requests. You know, as, as you mature in your, in your faith and as you mature in your prayer, you'll spend most of your time in the adoration. You'll spend a, a large majority of your prayer time in the adoration. Our goal is when we ask him for supplication, just like Jesus, not our will, but his will be done. Amen? Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. There are many symptoms that start surfacing. When we are more focused on ourself rather than God, and that's what James is reminding us. James explains then it, that this starts to happen, that, he, that basically we start to slide as it sets in and, and we can start seeing worldliness in our lives. James 4.4 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Remember, according to the Old Testament, and, and these people would understand that, God is the bridegroom, the husband. And the people, Israel, they were wedded to him. The believers were wedded to him. They were the, the bride. And James is reminding his readers that they are adulterous people. That they've cheated on God by loving this world in so many different ways. And that marriage picture is thrown throughout Scripture, just to name a few, Psalm 73, 27, Isaiah 54, 5, Jeremiah 2, 2. So if I'm going to commit adultery... I'm not only going to hurt Sherry in that process. 
but I'm also hurting myself. Proverbs 6.23, excuse me, 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Yet, many of us commit adultery with our eyes. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And these are pictures that James is, is trying to paint, trying, trying to help us understand. He's writing to believers and saying that when they are focused on self, when they are focused on the things of this world, they start falling into adultery because their passions are toward the world. So, worldliness, it begins as a nice attraction. Then it grows into an acquaintance, and eventually it becomes an affair. Scripture says that we, become, we start to become friends with the world. Friendship. What a, what a dangerous word. What a dangerous word that can be. In this case, it's the individual getting close to the world, snuggling up, befriending. And the goal here is that you're going to gain favor of the carnal and worldly men. I, I'm guessing a lot of you are like me, and you enjoy the movies uh, that were directed by Alex Kendrick. You know, movies like Courageous, Face and the Giants, War Room. I really enjoyed those movies. I like when they produce them. They're, to me, progressively getting better. The movie that I think about when I think about this message is Fireproof, which starred Kirk Cameron, and he played a character named Caleb Holt. And, and, and Caleb wasn't the nicest guy. And him and Catherine, their marriage was on the rocks. They were having issues. Catherine was at the, worked at the hospital, and, and there was a good-looking guy who was a doctor there. She was attracted to him. So she started to have lunch with him. Started to get more acquainted with him. And then, then she really was pondering and considering having an affair with him. You guys know the movie. I don't need to tell you all the details of it. But that's what happens to us. So something, something just looks attractive. And instead of running from it, Instead of turning away and not engaging with it, we get a closer look. We start being more interested in it. Eventually, the acquaintance has grown and we start to have an affair with it. I mean, this could be any number of things. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, food. Our phones, movies, books, TV. It can be any number of things. And when that happens, as James puts it, it makes you an adversary of God. It makes you an enemy. 
And I go back to the verse where it says you could only serve one master. You'll love the one and hate the other. And to me, this is a scary verse. This is a scary verse that James has thrown out there. He's writing to Jewish Christians. We, we've studied that. We've understood that. He refers to them as brethren many times, brothers. Yet he's warning them that if they are friends of the world, that then they are going to be enemies of the most holy God. And therefore can't be true Christians. And that's, again, that's what James is, has been doing throughout this book, is he's, he's trying to help people to evaluate, are they genuine Christians? Are they genuine Christians? He wants them to do uh, a self-examination. Are they not, not just believers, but are they genuine followers of Jesus Christ? Now, James isn't saying that you can't love the world, the physical world. We know in Romans 1 that, that they bring up the great attributes of this world that was created by the Creator, given honor and glory to uh, what the Creator has created is a great thing to, to look at the, the universe in awe and to understand uh, the creation of of the internal body and, and how it all functions. But when you start looking at this world and start loving the world for being the world and the science side of it, if you will, eliminating the lens of the creator, that you're starting to walk on dangerous ground. So I was challenged to ask myself these questions. Am I a lover of this world? That's what I was asking myself this week. Do I love this world? Do I love this world so much that I only want to be here? I only want what, what I have here. I want to stay here as long as I can. Do I want to bring that suitcase of, of gold with me to heaven? And then I said, what, what's become my affair? What, what things am I so in love with that, that I, I won't let go, that I'm not willing to let go? Again, we're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about honoring the king. What things am I willing uh, to lay down at his feet? What would I say makes me an enemy of God? Am I conforming to this world? Am I seeking friendship with this world? Am I finding my great amusement with this world? Am I trying to seek amusement from the world or from my life pleasing God? Hmm. What are my pleasures? What are my expenses? Are they the same as this world? What about my luxuries? Again, I'm not telling you to not be in this world. Mark 16, 15 tells us what Jesus says. He said, go in all, into all the what? The world. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. What an opportunity we have in this world to proclaim what Jesus Christ has done. 
So we need a solution for this sin. We'll whip through this. James 4, 5 through 6 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that he, that he has made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So James immediately asks a question. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says? He, he's, he's thinking... Why are you guys disregarding? Are you disregarding Scripture? He asked that earlier in the book, in the letter. Are you going to take Scripture as truth? Are you going to follow through with it? 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah came near to all the people. And listen to what he said. Here's Elijah the prophet. How long will you go limping between two opinions. Between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Constantly, we're given those two opinions. Who are we going to follow? And that's what James is saying. He's saying that some believers, some people that believe in Jesus Christ but aren't following them, they're just blown with the wind. To and fro, it doesn't matter, whatever. Whatever the moment has in it. If, if fire comes, if, if a real fire comes, that's going to be their test. Then we'll see who really is a follower of Jesus Christ. The ESV then puts quotes around the next part. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Quotes, quote, unquote. And it's interesting enough, this is not found anywhere in scripture, the, this quoted passage. Commentators obviously have a lot of arguments on it, and I spend probably way too much time studying it. But what I've gathered from it is, is that it, it, he's really given like a culmination of that first Kings passage and Matthew 6, uh, 24, which I was referring to earlier about serving two masters. So the solution of the sin of worldliness, it involves knowing two things. First, how God operates. This verse that we just read serves as a reminder that God desires his people to be absolutely completely devoted to him. It's interesting to, to understand this because it means that in order to be righteous before God, we have to have pure devotion before God. We can't fail in that one second. It's so it's an appropriate warning to these people against the desires of the world because you're serving the world or you're serving God. The interpretation actually sometimes bothers some people to say that God is jealous. That he's desiring the devotion of men. I'm sure you guys know that God is a jealous 
God, right? Exodus 24 through 6, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. What's it say? For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. To those who hate me. But showing steadfast love. Sometimes people leave this last sentence out. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's God who describes himself as jealous. It's him who describes himself as completely devoted to men. It may seem odd, but this is truly an act of love. Absolute act of love. This desire that that men to be voted, devoted to him and to glorify him with their affections is the absolute reason why he sent Jesus Christ. It, it, it's, it was the reason for redemption of the church. Paul said it in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is great stuff, people. Second solution of sin, it involves what God offers. It's right what we just said, what God offers. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about it. Every day, every single day, you and I make thousands of decisions. We, we, we make decisions of what we're going to do and, and how we're going to do it, and, and we interact uh, with this earth. And many of our time, many times, probably most times, we don't talk to the Lord about it. We don't see what He wants from us. We don't seek His will. We don't even give it a, a, a thought process. We're, we're, we're being adulterous and, and, and we're caring about the creation more than the creator. None of us, not one of us, can live up to this tremendous requirement that we are be to, to be completely devoted to the king. We can't. But through the pen of James and, and God-breathed, we get one of the greatest encouragements ever. One of the greatest encouragements ever. The complete offer of abundant grace. Grace. Grace that is greater than the requirement of, his, of complete devotion. Think of that. No matter how much is withdrawn, when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know how many times you withdraw stuff, he keeps putting deposits back in. That, that's amazing to think about. This grace is, is greater than the sin which prevents us from remaining faithful to God. And we can't take it for granted. And we do. It goes all the way back to the beginning of my stuff. We, we, we take 
all of this for granted. You become a believer and, and all of a sudden you've, you've loved the Lord for all these years. Some, sometimes, some of us, these decades. And now we've just, we'll just keep moving on. We'll just keep going on with life. And we stop and we've got to remember what he has provided us. Remember that tremendous gift. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter if our dryer's broke or, or we suffered a loss in our family, no matter what it is, we have sufficient grace given to us by Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, if we don't live up to the standard, we can never be eternally with him. We face those eternal consequences. But God is gracious. God is gracious. And he's willing to supply his people with all that they need. Romans 3.11 says, No one understands. No one seeks for God. That's our issue, is, is that we don't have that comprehension. We don't understand who he is enough, and we can't seek him accordingly. Augustine once wrote, God gives what he demands. That's beautiful. He provided it. He gave it to us. That's exactly what he demanded, and he provided it already for us. Read 2 Peter 1. Take some time and read 2 Peter 1. If it were not for God's divine provision, no one would be able to completely be devoted to God. No one, no one would satisfy that. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need grace, because it's great enough to meet God's perfect standards. You know, the message of God's grace is the very heart of the gospel message absolute very heart of it it's the center of it god has required our faithfulness to him he has given us that requirement he desires the spirit that he created within us but no one can even seek him out we can't we don't have the ability we don't have have the willpower the stamina and that's why the gospel is necessary through Christ Jesus, we have available to us a grace that is great enough to change our sinful ways. And that's something to give glory to God about. Jesus told us, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why this entire thing is great. You and I, we can't save enough money. We, we, we can't act the right way. We can't buy enough insurance. We can't uh, devote ourselves enough. We can't serve people enough. Uh, we can't uh, help animals enough. We can't uh, teach enough. We can't uh, love enough. We can't. We can't. We can't. But he can. And that's what James is trying to communicate. That's, that's this whole message. If you are a genuine Christian, if you are realizing that you can't, 
but he can. Only Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, can we be worthy to enter his kingdom. One more quick story and we'll conclude. Man died and went to heaven. And Peter is there again. And he said, here's how it works. He said, you only have to get to 100 points, and then you get to enter into he heaven. And the man said, oh, great. He goes, just tell me what things you did good, and, and then I'll give you your points. He goes, okay, I, I was married to my wife for 50 years faithfully, not only in regular life, but even in my heart. It's like, oh, that is wonderful, Peter said. That's worth three points. Three points. He goes, okay. I went to my church and served there all of my life. I gave, I, I tithed, and, and I served with, with my hands. And what, 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 what is that worth, Peter? Peter's like, oh, man, I am so happy for you. That's worth one point. One point. He goes, in my town, I started a soup kitchen. And I served there for 28 years at that soup kitchen. And Peter, yes, that's wonderful. That's great. Two points. The man said, two points? It, it, the rate I'm going, the only way I'm going to get there is by the grace of God. He said, come on in. By the grace of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to serve you and worship you. We're thankful for your message that is clear that we need to humble ourselves. That it's not about us, it's about you. It's not about what we can do, but it's about what you did. Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your son Jesus, for his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.